Hey there, Pathfinders. Welcome to the Pathfinders podcast. My name is Tamco. I am your host, and I interview people with interesting, uncommon careers or life journey. And today, sitting with me is Sacha Funk. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. Right now, you are a professor for a lot of subjects, right? Right. One of them is digital marketing. Correct. Yeah. And what else? Journalism, like new media studies, society issues. And other than teaching, you also do a lot of other side projects, like your blog on Thailand. Right. You write about so many things. Right. Education, politics, like everything that happens here. And we actually met because you were interviewing me for your blog. Correct. So now you're turning it around. Yeah. What are your other interests? I know you do boxing. Yeah, well, since we're in Thailand, so I started with Muay Thai, Thai boxing. I used to do lots of other sports before, but I couldn't do them here anymore. Like winter sports kind of thing? No, like more team sports. Like I played serious volleyball, actually like really serious. But when moving here, I couldn't do that anymore. So then I started doing something by myself with Muay Thai. It's only you alone against everybody else. Before we get into details about your career and the journey of how you get there, Can you introduce yourself? How would you describe yourself? It's like on my dating profile. Now. Okay, <laughs> um, just copy your Tinder profile. <laughs> I don't have Tinder. Um, okay, what most people say, I'm a rather calm person. Used to be very shy when I was young. I think it changed now a little bit because I mean, when you get older, you realize you can't be just shy all the time. I try to do the right things. Honesty is important to me. Being straightforward, just say what you think, and yeah, make a change. I think you also like trying a lot of new things, right? Like you try a lot of new activities and meeting people. Right, but that's more like because I used to be like super shy, and now getting older, I try to battle that. Because when you're young, you're like, oh, I'm shy. I don't go out. I don't meet people. And now I'm like, can't always be like that. You have to do something. So I'm more as pushing myself. Activities are cool because I have a trust in myself to do stuff like this: climbing or skydiving or whatever. That's fun. Like new stuff. I still struggle with people. <laughs> I still have to improve on that. I think it helps, like doing interviews, help a lot, right? That is true. That's actually one of the main reasons why I went out and asked people. That I thought, cool, I would never talk to them if I wouldn't be for my website. I'm like, hey, I have this website. Do you want to talk to me? That's how I met you, for example. That's how I try to overcome that. Let's talk about your journey. I want to ask you: since you were younger, yeah. did you know what you wanted to be? No. I remember I didn't say I want to be a uni professor or anything like that. My hero was my dad. My dad had a really boring job, like a salesman. And I'm like, it's so cool. He drives a like, big car and goes to different places. It's so awesome. Because I didn't understand what he was doing, obviously. I just saw him traveling all the time. So that was cool. But then, of course, as you get a little bit older, you understand. I'd like teachers. I thought teachers are cool, but I thought I'd never could be a teacher. Because for me, teachers are like awesome people who know lots of stuff. They have to be super smart. They have to be able to talk to people. And they can't be shy. So it was the exact opposite of me. And I'm like, teachers are so cool, but I never can be a teacher. Were you friends with all the teachers when you were in school? No, because I was really, I was just too quiet. I wouldn't talk to anyone unless they say, Sasha, say something. I'm like, <gasps> I was the super shy kid at the very end of the class and nobody talks to him. Did you like school a lot though? In the beginning, it was okay-ish. I never hated it. As I got older, I enjoyed school more. Then I was like, okay, I learned something that's cool. I got to know new stuff. I enjoyed that actually. And my grades got better. I can imagine people who want to be teachers that they must be really good with school. I wasn't a good student. I mean, I was not a bad student. I was just average. When I was like in fifth grade or so, I figured out 
I don't need to do that much to have okayish grades and to make my parents happy and to be okay with the teacher. So I never studied hard. I just did enough to have okay grades, but then actually enjoying studying and learning stuff then started later, 16 or so. And then I realized, oh, hey, actually, there's so much more to know. And then I started to consciously say, I want to learn more. You're German. I think people can hear from the accent, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And you went through school in Germany. Right. What do you think about education in Germany? Having it seen like different countries, not only in Thailand, looking from the outside, it's actually rather smart, rather good. I do like the system somehow because it's different to Thailand, for example. Not everybody goes to university in Germany. Actually, lots of people don't go. We have three different kinds of layers for school. One is like you go to school for nine years. And after those nine years, you graduate, you get your high school diploma, and then you go into the workforce, become a mechanic, or you get trained on the job for like two or three years. And then you get your certificate. Okay, you're a car mechanic now, and then you go and pursue this career. Nine years as in from grade one yeah, to right. whatever. You're like 16 when you graduate or 15 uh, or something. Yeah. When do you have to choose which one do you want? The first time you have to choose is like in fourth grade, because then you either stay where you are. Or you go into the track that leads you to university later on. But you can go to this track later on as well. But the first choice in grade four, and your parents have to say, okay, we take you to this more academic level of studies. Or you just stay there and like more applied field of studies. My mom said, you're so shy. You're so young. You're always the smallest kid in school. I don't want you to go into this academic thing. that's too tough for you. So you stay in the easier path. And when you stay there, then you have, again, two choices. Either you graduate after nine years. Or you do one more year and you graduate after 10 years, you get another certificate, diploma kind of thing. And then usually you end up in either engineering jobs or office jobs and you get trained on that job. That's what I did first. But then you're 16 when you graduate, 17. I made this decision. I want to study more. There's another school that you can attend two more years. And then they give you also the certificate to actually attend university if you didn't go the straight way. You're not locked in your choices. You can change right, later. Exactly. With a little more effort, of course, but you can still change. What's the difference between the things you study in your track and the academic track? The academic track was designed to go like straight for 13 years of school. Now it's 12. They reduced one to be like more international. And the academic track after 10 years, they really focus on what they want to study later. They would pick majors that they would focus on. In my track, that those 10 years of school, you just get everything, math, physics and stuff like this. And you wouldn't really specify into detail. I had the choice between the mathematical track and the business track. I picked the business track. After I had the certificate to attend university, 12 years of school, nobody studied in my family. My parents were like, I want to spend more money on education. Maybe you just should work. (laughs) Okay. And then I applied for a job and then I got a job in a bank. Is that common in Germany? In Germany, not everybody studies, especially the generation of my parents and mine. Here in Thailand, you need to study for everything, right? You need to study if you want to work in a bank and stuff. In Germany, you get trained on the job. I have my 12 years of school. Then I applied for a bank apprentice. They hired me and then they trained me for two years. During your traineeship, you go through every department. And then afterwards, depending on how good you are, they will ask you like, hey, which department did you like the most? We have an opening here. You want to work there. The system sounds a lot better than Thailand and even Canada because I studied in Canada. And you have to pretty much go into a specific track. Yes, I mean, I'm not saying it's perfect. I took like a huge detour to go where I am right now. But I think it might not have been possible. If I would have grown up here, for example. Yeah, definitely not. Exactly. And then you wouldn't be given so many options to explore. Like if you go into a bank, then you just do that one job. Exactly, right. And I also was a volleyball coach. I was yeah, 17, 18. 
I played volleyball. I started when I was 12. And then I went on to train a lot. And I played in a team. Then the trainer for the women's team didn't come anymore. They asked me, hey, do you want to take over until you find someone else? I'm like, yeah, I can do that, I think. That's when I realized I want to have new challenges, do something new. I'm shy, but volleyball, I'm good, so I can do that. That's when I realized being the coach is really fun because I show them how to do stuff. They understand how to do it and then they get better. I'm like, that's cool. You enjoy making someone better at something. Right. Then I became the coach for another team and another team over the next few years. And then I was one of the coaches for the national team for under 16-year-olds in Germany, which was also a cool experience. Did teaching come naturally to you? Yeah, actually, once it starts, once I'm in there in the classroom or on the court, it's lots of fun and then I have lots of ideas. I do prepare, of course. You do have to get experience. So in the beginning, you're like, okay, I prepare what I think works. And then I think about what I experienced and what worked on me. But the first few times you think, I have great ideas, let's do this. And then it doesn't work. Then you have to improvise. If you're able to improvise and then to react to what your students do and say, I think that shows you whether that's the job for you or not. And I mean, before I had to do the army service, by the way, back then it was still mandatory. I had to do like a year in the army before I actually started working in the bank. The first two months are like the hardcore trainings. They take you away from home, of course. You go to the barracks, you only stay there. And then you feel like in a movie because the first day you go like, here's my letter. And then they yell at you, what's your number? What's your name? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but I mean, that's supposed to be like this because then you bond with your fellow soldiers. The training and stuff and playing war in between was really tough. The first two months, I, I would never cry, of course, but I was close. <laughs> was that your first time away from home? Kind of, yeah. And then living with six guys in a tiny room together. I learned to like get along with people there that I would have never met in my normal life. People from all walks of life with different areas of the country. With guys with really different opinions. From like Eastern Germany, again, no offense, but in Eastern Germany, it's more like right-wing thoughts compared to rather liberal where I grew up. If you talk about politics and stuff, you're like, okay, we can't fight now. We can't argue because we have to stick together right now. But it was interesting. And I think a reason why then later when I went to the bank, It was easy to adapt to everything because nothing was tough. Some of my fellow trainees, they came right from the 10-year track. They were only like 16, 17, so they hadn't the right age yet, so they didn't have to go. They had to go after they finished the traineeship. They're like, oh, working life is so hard. And I'm like, that's easy. It's just from nine to five. What do you want? Let's go back to the bank job. How long were you there for? Two and a half years. Oh, that's quite long. Yeah, the traineeship is that long usually. Between all the departments that you got to try in the bank, which one do you like the most? Marketing. Ah. <laughs> yeah, I also like the investment, stock exchange and stuff that was interesting. I hated being on the counter like a teller. I hated the loan department. It was terrible to tell people, no, they can't get the money or tell people they have to pay like an insane amount of interest just to fix their house or something. What I hated the most in working in a bank is just you have to sell stuff to people. Your boss gives you goals. You still have to sell insurances for the financial products. I just hate working under that premise to have to sell stuff to people, even if they don't really want it. But then marketing is kind of selling too, right? Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why I quit. <laughs> why I quit marketing agencies afterwards. I do think that in marketing, however, you can do marketing for the right things, products, services or whatever. And you don't need to lie to people. You can just to different ways of marketing. Back then, what did you like about marketing? Some bank products are cool. When you invest here, then you have like a return and stuff like this that can help people. Highlighting those things and then doing some campaigns, even some booth, uh, educate people about different products. That was fun. It seems like you're quite natural with giving information to people. In retrospect, it looks like that. Yeah, I haven't thought about it back then, but maybe, yeah, that's true. 
what happens after you get the training certificate from the bank? I realized I don't want to work there any longer. So I just left and then I actually applied for university. What did you choose to study? Management information systems. A mix between e-commerce, online marketing and a bit of IT. You liked what you study? I hated programming. It was the only class I failed twice. You have to program on a paper. On paper? Yeah, so you studied on a computer all semester long, right? And then the exam is on paper and I was terrible in like visualizing. That doesn't really make sense to test computer programming on paper. I agree, but I was the only one who failed twice. So apparently it wasn't that hard. I was just terrible at it. You only have three tries. Lots of pressure on that, but I passed it. I was always more into e-commerce after the first two semesters. Then you can choose more of what you want to study. And I picked like all those e-commerce related things and online marketing search and some optimization. Would you say that from when you studied, it changed quite a lot? Because I think SEO changed very, of very course, quickly. Oh God, yeah, definitely. You have to keep up all the time. I graduated in online marketing with majoring in SEO. I wrote my thesis about SEO. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. Like five years later, it changed completely, but also makes it not boring. So if you would recommend someone who's wanting to study something like this, would you recommend that they study digital marketing and SEO in yeah. university? Sure. It kind of fueled my interest for it. Those two professors I had in e-commerce and online marketing were like the best professors. They used real case studies. They looked at like the biggest German retail websites and put it apart. You have to do lots of reading of blogs and magazines, not only books, because I mean, books get old very fast. But it helped me to understand the basics and to develop a desire to know more. And that's why I think it's a good idea, if you're into that kind of stuff, to go for that. When you were studying at university, did you have a career in mind? No, I didn't have a real career in mind, but I'm just going to see what I'm going to do for my thesis. My university, you do like applied. So you go into a company, have a project there, and then you write your thesis about that project. I went to Berlin. I worked for one of the biggest SEO tool providers in the world, Searchmetrics, shout out here. Uh, <laughs> I learned a lot there, but like, I realized, okay, I don't want to work for this tool provider because they try to sell too much. And then I found an agency who specialized on viral marketing, bus marketing, social media stuff. A very small agency in Vienna. And I'm like, okay, that sounds interesting because that was just booming. I applied there and then that's when I started my first marketing job after graduating. Back then, lots of bigger agencies didn't have a social media department yet. Bigger marketing agencies, when they worked for like big clients, they'd ask us to help them with the social media marketing. We worked for Nokia in Austria, we worked for T-Mobile, we introduced the iPhone 4 to the Austrian market, which when you come right from uni, it's like, I just graduated and I'm here. It's so cool. So that was a nice feeling. It lasted for a while. <laughs> then it went away. <laughs> Why is that? I, I don't know. Like Maybe it's just not for me, the marketing agency life at least. I mean, you have to work a lot. You don't sleep much. And at the weekend, you still have to go to events and be with the clients and be nice to the clients. Your phone is ringing 24-7 with new requests from the client and you can never say no because you need those people, especially if you're like a small agency. I had this moment where I thought, okay, right now I don't have any free time. I don't have many friends anymore. I look terrible because I wasn't eating healthy or anything. I didn't have time for sports anymore. I just went to work, went home, slept, and then I went to work again. I just thought that can't be it. If you don't consider the work hours, did you actually like the job itself? Sometimes creating new campaign ideas, I liked it. I had lots of very creative colleagues. There was lots of fun and they're really good at what they're doing. But then the thing that I didn't like is like when someone realizes in the company, hey, this one approach worked, then they try to use it for other stuff as well. So we had this one really cool approach for one brand and it blew everything away. And we were like in the news everywhere for this marketing thing that we did. The decision makers in the company said, hey, it worked so well. Use the same approach for the next client. That became like a thing, more or less. 
I do understand it from a company perspective. Standardization makes it easier, makes it cheaper. You just use the same template. It just wasn't that much fun. So then I moved on. I did one more agency because my friends, two of them went to this one other agencies and they said they're looking for only an SEO manager right now. And they know me from talking about SEO a lot and doing like SEO conference. We really need someone right now. We like you and you know what you're talking about. I'm like, if you want me, sure. And so then I did this as an SEO manager in like in a really big agency. It was okay. And I liked everyone there. The boss was nice, really cool guy. The office was awesome. Open space office with lots of stuff there, play areas and whatnot. I just realized I don't want to have this agency thing anymore. That's when I decided to quit. How did you know that you really don't want to do this? At the end of the day, when you go home, you think, am I happy right now with what I do? It was just okay. It didn't make me happy. And I thought, okay, if it doesn't make me happy, does it at least have an impact? If I do it or if like one of my friends does it, it doesn't really matter. But I thought, okay, I'm not making an impact and I'm not really happy. Maybe I have to change something. And I was thinking like, what, how and where? And then a friend of a friend, he used to be a teacher in Thailand for six months, said, hey, maybe there's something for you. You work as a coach. You like to give talks and teach people. You're a teacher. Just try. And I'm like, you're crazy going to Thailand to teach? Come on. I would never do that. Have you been to Thailand before? Never. I've never been to Asia. I never thought about going to Asia. It never really was interesting to me. But as time moved on and I'm like, okay, I really need to leave Vienna. I really want to go now. Yeah, why, why, why not do something completely different, something completely crazy? So I contacted that person. Okay, I'm interested in doing like a semester. The college association here in Thailand, they have this contact person for Europe. So I emailed him. He set it up. And then a few weeks later, I got an email. Congratulations, you're going to a college in Udontani. I didn't know anything. I googled Udontani, obviously. The pictures are nice. <laughs> it's far away from Bangkok. I'm like, okay, something new, something different. I'm going to Udontani. What was it like moving to a completely different country? It was weird. It was so, it was exciting to just come here. I'm like, I'm really doing this. I'm really doing this. They sent like a van as a pickup service to Bangkok. Drove from Bangkok to Udontani for eight, nine hours. I'm like, all right. But the people are awesome. I'm confused. I don't know what to do, of course. I don't speak any Thai. They don't speak much English, but they were really, really comforting, really helping. And they took me by the hand, like literally sometimes, and then just showed me around. So that was nice to see like really nice people there. And they seem to be happy that I'm there. Did you have a culture shock? <laughs> Still ongoing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the stage of the culture shock, right? So in the beginning, it was all exciting. Yeah, it's so cool. I'm far away. It's so awesome. After a while, you're like, what the hell, man? Ah, oh, there's nothing. The pollution. You can't do anything. Ah, oh, nobody understands me. Everybody goes through that, I think. My work really helped. I really enjoyed teaching. This job was supposed to be for six months only, like a volunteer English teacher thing. As soon as I walk into the classroom, I realized I want to do that. I'm good at this. The students are like scared of the first foreign teacher that they're seeing. You can see when you walk in, they're like really, really scared what's happening now. And then after a day, we already like friends, more or less. They ask me questions and they want to know more and they want to speak English because they know they have to communicate with people. So being in the classroom helps. Outside the classroom, depressed <laughs> sometimes with the culture shock. But while I'm in the classroom, I'm always happy. How did you get students to open up more? I think it's actually rather easy because the old school way in Thailand, especially in the countryside, is still teachers sitting in front of the class telling them, now you read the pages 10 to 20 and then I ask you questions and you will say yes. More authoritative. Exactly. And so I'm not like that because my professors at uni have never been like that. I'm more like having conversations with the students and then ask, did you get it? And like, yes. I'm like, really? 
No. And I'm like, okay, what is it? And then I explain it to everybody. I think that they just realized that I really like being there, that I'm not forced to be there. You show that you genuinely want to help them and you don't judge them if they don't understand something. Exactly. Very often Thai teachers seem to get mad when like students say, I don't understand it. Like, why don't you understand? I'm like, yeah, okay, no problem. I explain it to you again. No worries. They like that. When did you decide to stay long term? I planned to stay for one semester. And then they said, hey, the students having so much fun with you. You want to stay one more? Okay, I stay one more semester. And then I realized I really like this too. So I stayed actually three semesters in Udontani. But then I said, okay, I love you all, but I really need to do something more. I can't just be an English teacher. And again, no offense towards English teachers, but I didn't study teaching English. I just want to do something more with like what I did before. I had so much work experience and I have my degree in online marketing and stuff. So why not use that? And combine it with teaching. And I like to teach older students. So I thought, hey, university, you have older students, a bit more mature, and they maybe need to know what I know. That's how I decided, okay, let's try this. So you applied for universities in Bangkok? Yeah, cold emails, cold applications at almost every university. Most universities don't reply to emails. <laughs> However, like the private unis, they were responsive. Then I went to a few interviews. The first time I walked into my previous university, an international college and I thought oh my god it looks so amazing everything is new the buildings are awesome high-tech leather seats everywhere like, oh god I don't fit in here but they somehow liked me in the job interview and I did a teaching presentation then like, okay you're hired oh, so part of the interview you actually have to teach yeah at every place where I've been so far almost where was the first place Frankfurt University They were the first ones to say yes. The others said yes later, but I'm like, okay, you're the first one. So that's why I go to you. You were teaching digital marketing. Uh, no. <laughs> at ranks at university first. Because you're a foreigner, you have to teach one English class. Have to? More or less. Still okay, because I mean, I did this before. But then I taught introduction to IT, to nursing students, medical students, to dentistry students. It was also interesting to just talk to them and see what they go through. I taught some digital marketing, e-commerce stuff for the marketing major. Was the culture and the students different from Udon Thani? Yeah, of course. In Udon, it was vocational college students who would then go on to work in like hotels or whatever afterwards. University is different and then private universities is different again because they're rather wealthy. More often people who just want to have the degree and they're not really into studies. Was it less interesting for you to teach students who aren't as interested? Yeah, it's a bit frustrating, of course, because you try to bring your point across, try to make them understand they don't care. But of course, you also have students in there who are interested. And then you're like, okay, there are 30 students, maybe only 10 are interested. But then I make an awesome class for those 10 students, no problem. And I still try to get the information towards the others. Maybe they're not interested today, maybe tomorrow. You can't just give up. I met some really cool students, still in touch with some of them, having really good jobs right now. It was a good experience. Yeah, so I was teaching there and then I just ran into this European university on the same campus to some of the staff there by coincidence. And they're like, hey, we have this one floor here where there's a European uni. And the students come here like for different modules. Want to teach them some digital marketing? I'm like, yeah, sure. That's how I started with them. After a while, I just realized that completely private uni, sometimes academics don't matter that much. But I just wanted to be like in a more academic setting. So that's when I also applied at my current university at Tamasat, like a really well-known university in Thailand. They have like some really good programs there. And then I started being like a guest lecturer there for new media studies. And that was really fun. So there was a huge class, 100 students. They really participated. They're very open-minded and they interact with you. And I ask questions and they reply. And 
just discussing stuff. They're not just sitting there and saying, yes, yes, yes. They actually discuss things with you. And that's when I really thought, that's cool. That's where I want to be. I want to have discussions, not just preaching and see how they think and then how they actually grow. I did this for like one and a half years as a guest lecturer there. And then they had a job opening. So I said, hey, I'm here anyway. So why don't I just come to you? They said, okay, yeah, you can work here. Do you know why students at Tamasat is different from the other ones? Do they have different kind of entrance exam or something that's like those kind of students? At Tamasat, you have to do a written entrance exam. You have to write an essay. It depends on like which faculty you apply to. And then you have like interviews. In-person interviews. In-person interviews. Yeah, correct. My faculty, they only take 100 students per semester. Leads to the students being a bit more motivated, I guess. Did you teach differently at this university because students are different? I just plan more with those discussion style. I don't just plan with lecturing them now, which I wouldn't have had before. Students wouldn't care about it. But here I know they care and they want to actually exchange ideas. You mentioned that you like giving students more creative problems to solve. Right. I think creativity is important. Especially now you can look up everything. You can look up every fact. So why do you need to study it by heart? Especially like in that area where I'm in. If you're a doctor, you should know stuff by heart. Um, but maybe in media, for example, you don't need to know like that 1475 Gutenberg invented the Gutenberg press or whatever. Why should you study that? So you focus more on actual applications, like what would be useful in the real world? Uh, yeah, actually in all classes that I teach right now, they have to create something or they have to come up with like a plans to fix current problems that are actually there. And do you use techniques from the professor that you said you like, like using real case studies? Of course, doing case studies all the time. The digital marketing class that I teach at Mahidol, they have to create a digital marketing plan for a startup. My professors back then, if we would have meetings, for example, we would meet at a coffee shop across university just to have a less intimidating setting. In a professor office, you're just like so intimidated as a student, you're like, I want to say anything wrong, but in a coffee shop, you're more relaxed, help them to voice their creativity. You also said that you value critical thinking a lot. How do you teach that or foster that in students? I try to make them speak their mind and I ask them questions. Even if they answer correctly, then I question them. It's like, you sure? Then they change their mind and say, no, you have to be confident about what you say. And to make them understand that they not always have to say yes, yes, yes to everything that I say just because I'm the authority figure there. Also stick to your opinion sometimes. If you're sure that it's correct, don't be afraid to say it. That's what I try to show them tell them yeah i think it works mostly because they really become more confident and better in like saying what they think and presenting their ideas and being proud of it your teaching style is very different from what it's normally like in thailand do your students tell you that as well last week they said you're very engaging or something like this and passionate that's good i hope so yeah <laughs> When you teach, are there goals that you have for students? Sometimes they ask me, is it all important what we learn in class? And I said, of course, everything I say is extremely important. With a sarcastic tone, of course. But no, I try to only tell them stuff that helps them in the end. I try to plan classes in a way that when they go out of class every week, they learn something that they can use in real life. Classes in Thailand are insane. Three-hour classes, it's crazy. You can't just lecture for three hours, of course, and they won't remember everything you say in those three hours. But I always try to have key takeaway from a class and hope that this key takeaway will stick with most of them and that they can be able to apply that. When you structure what to teach in class, do you get to do everything or are there things that university says you have to follow? The unis where I teach right now, they more or less let me do whatever I want. I mean, I need to have final exam. 
and I need to hand in a syllabus before the semester so they know what I'm planning to do, of course. But what's in the syllabus is more or less up to me, which is really nice. Also lots of pressure again, because you really have to think about what I'm going to do, how I'm going to structure everything. But I like it. There's no excuse for me to say like, oh, university made me do it. So if something goes wrong, it's my fault. But if it goes the way I expect it to go, then I can say, hey, I did this with the students and we did something cool together. I appreciate it. I heard some complaints before, but from high school teachers, not from university, that they have to stick to the school syllabus of right. what they gave them. And they want right. to teach students more interesting things, more real world things, but they can't really do that. All right. It's really cool to hear that you can actually plan your own class. Sure, like my own sources and my own magazines, blog source, whatever I want to use. How do you know what to put in each classes? I mean, you never really know, right? Oh God, don't tell us any students. <laughs> um, <laughs> when you plan a class, you think about overall goal and then the goal of each class. What do I need to tell them in order to understand that? It's difficult because I taught my first university class yeah. a few months ago. At the end of the class, I gave students surveys. There was one student that said the material was quite basic. They want something harder. And then the other one said, it was really difficult. I can't follow most of it. I'm like, so which one? <laughs> That's always a problem. You always have someone who's really into it and who knows more. And you have some people who don't know anything. So finding a balance is difficult. Group work activities, try to mix them up, mix people together who know more with people who don't know that much and make them work with each other. But it only works if you have enough time also. Don't lecture for three hours, right? So I do lots of activities and workshops. Nobody can listen for three hours. It's really hard for teachers to speak for three hours straight. I'm so tired afterwards. You can't imagine. Like, some days I have two classes in a row, so six hours straight. And I walk. I never sit down in class because I think as soon as I sit down, the students, their attention goes down. At every uni where I am, I ask for a wireless microphone. They was, oh, God, him again. Okay, we get you a wireless microphone. And then the technicians come and install a wireless microphone for me. But it's only because I can walk around. I can be that mean guy who walks around and just hands a microphone to a student. What do you think? And then just make them talk. They hate it. I mean, some hate it, some like it. But it's just to keep the energy up and just to have some interaction there. I mean, sometimes the students, they just don't care or just too tired or whatever. But mostly it works. They're like, I have to think, okay. What are other techniques you have to make students more engaged? I do lots of activities in class. Or most classes, they have an end project for the end of the semester. Okay, in this class, you talked about topic X. Now you have 20 minutes to use topic X for your project. And then you present it quickly. Just no presentation. Just go here, talk about it, and we give you feedback. Um, so that's how I try to make them do something and then actually talk about it. What would be your favorite part about teaching and what's your least favorite? Oh, that's easy. The least favorite part is like the organization stuff. You have to go to meetings. You have to submit papers. I enjoy writing. I don't like academic writing. That doesn't come naturally to me and I have to force myself. I try, of course, to do a good job when I do that. It just takes me so much time to, to get those things done. Is it a requirement to write papers? You should publish. I mean, if you're an academic and it's not that if you don't do it, you get punished or anything, but it's just like, hey, why don't you want to publish something? Increase your credibility. Kind of, exactly, right? And you submit your paper and you get it peer-reviewed. And you don't really know who reviewed it and you get comments and you're like, dude, those comments don't make sense. Read my paper. <laughs> so sometimes you're feeling like random people criticizing you about your topic that you know about, but they don't really. So I try to take most of the things that happen to me as like a learning thing. So try not to get too frustrated. I'm like, okay, yeah, I could do better. I agree. I could have done better. So I try better now. My favorite part is just being in the classroom, getting direct feedback from the students and 
giving them feedback and working together. I had a class on Friday. They have projects that they have to do in like small groups and they have to create those startups and those marketing plans. I talked to them and we had this group work for two hours. It lasted really long, but they had really good questions. And I went out of class and I thought, wow, today was really cool. And even I learned something and they learned something and we're all happy. That's just the best part. Because you see that you make an impact on someone's lives and see yeah, their growth. They, they use it right now and they understand it and they have more questions. I'm like, yes, that's cool. And right now you teach at multiple universities at the same time, right? Yeah, I work full-time at Tamasat and then I have two part-time things at this European Uni and then at my adult digital marketing. Is it because you like these universities or like you're teaching different things? Yeah, exactly. It's different and that's what I really like and it was what makes it lots of fun. And I teach something new every semester simply because like another faculty said, hey, you're a new media guy. We have something media related in our faculty. You want to try this, but then you have to adapt again because it's never the same. Right now I teach media advocacy for global entrepreneurship, like a completely different kind of students. They want to change the world, graduate and then they make an impact, which is really cool to see them so motivated, for example. That's what I enjoyed. It's like, it's always different. It's every semester is different. Exhausting sometimes because you have to keep up with everything. Lots of different topics, not only the marketing stuff, journalism students. So I have to know about journalism stuff as well. And then media development and media and society, which is really interesting. And I think that helps me to keep following news, to keep following developments, to keep reading, to go to events. What's media development? How media influences society, for example. So then you look at how media changed from radio to TV and now we go into like social media and now snapping and IG stories. So communication changes. How does this influence society or does society influence the way communication changes? Was that the topic that you talked at Comic-Con in Germany as well? A little bit, yeah. How comics influence us and how we influence them. Because as a society, do they pick up the issues that are happening right now or do they also like not only pick up the issues but also provide us with solutions or with a way to escape, for example all belongs together and I would have never spoken there if I wouldn't have started teaching at this faculty for example so that's really cool. How did you get cool public speaking engagements with this comic con? I always admired people who can speak publicly and bring across their point and make you go like wow that's cool I learned something and then when I started to work here at a university when you're in academics they say okay you have to publish articles or do like talks at conferences or something or maybe write an article and then have a conference talk on that. I thought, okay, but I don't really like those academic conferences too much because it's always in the small setting in a hotel and then five people talk about one thing and the rest spaces out. I thought, okay, then, then I just try to speak at one of those conferences that I liked. And there's this one big conference in Berlin called Republica, which was my favorite conference ever. They had a call for papers. Every year when they plan a conference, they're like, hey, if you want to speak, submit your idea. And if they like it, then they invite you. And I'm like, okay. I'm the German guy who now lives in Thailand, have this strange journey somehow. Maybe I can tell you something about like how communication, new media thing works here in Thailand compared to how we do it back home in Germany or in Europe. I had a short proposal and they said, yeah, you're in. Come to Berlin, talk about it. And that was my first. It's huge. It's like a concert, more or less. Biggest stage has a few thousand seats. The smallest stage has like maybe 20. I thought, okay, they put me in this 20-seat stage because who wants to hear something about Southeast Asia? And then I was like in a room with like 400 people or something. I'm like, oh, sh 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 nice. <laughs> I didn't know that. Uh, that is cool. And a live streaming on YouTube and oh. everything. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> Not nervous. But that's again, like I try to force myself to do stuff that I wouldn't have done before. 
And I always wanted to speak publicly. I just thought I have to do that just to see if I can do it. And that was the point. So, okay, now they accepted me. Now I'm actually going to Berlin. I booked my ticket. Now I'm here at the conference and I see the room and I'm going a little bit crazy. But okay, there's no way back. Now let's do this. I was freaking nervous before. When they announced my topic, Southeast Asia and digital marketing and the room filled up because people like marketing stuff apparently. And I'm like, why do you want to listen to me? And I felt like real pressure, really nervous. And as soon as I went on stage, I'm like, okay, let's do this. I know I speak rather fast, but it's usually okay in this setting because people are able to listen to you and they focus on what you're saying because they want to be there. It was a 30-minute talk and it was lots of fun. And then at the end, there are lots of questions from the audience, uh, positive feedback. Then I'm like, okay, maybe I should do this more often. Once you get to talking, are you not nervous anymore? Not that much. And funny enough, what I realized now after having done more of those conferences As the big audience is actually easier than small audiences, at least for me. Yeah, same with me, actually, because yeah. you don't really see them staring at you. They're kind of far away. Exactly, exactly. So right now, like when I talk, I'm like, what are you thinking about me right now? But when I see like there are like 200 people, I'm like, huh, okay, whatever. How do you prepare for events like this? I try to find an interesting topic and an interesting entry point, something that people can relate to. Ideally, maybe something that's happening right now, something current. Okay, this is happening right now. You all know this. Let's just analyze why or how does this impact us. I try to find a common denominator more or less and then start from there. Again, I try to have presentations that are not that academic. Like I don't have 100 bullet points on a slide or anything like this. So I try to make it more interesting. Yeah, you mentioned to me that your slides are usually all pictures. Yeah, I mean, you know the research and stuff about how people react to a presentation. So, I mean, you shouldn't have more than seven words on a slide. Guy Kawasaki said that once, he said then it's like an essay and people will start reading rather than listening to you. So I try to keep it brief, at least the slides, so that people focus on what I'm saying. That's also what I do at university, by the way, simply so I force students to take notes. So if they just download my slides, which they can do, no problem, but then they see like a picture of a cat on the slide and they're like, what the hell is that? So they have to take notes. Otherwise, I never check attendance. But if you don't come to class, you just don't know what I was talking about. Maybe you have to do it differently because I gave them very detailed notes because my slides are not detailed. Right. And then I gave them detailed notes that are pretty much what I talk about because I think that if they take notes and they won't be listening, but maybe oh, it's right. the opposite effect. I try to opposite right now. I, I try to make them take notes because I think they don't take notes. They just space out. Like, yeah. Oh, we have the notes anyway, so you can read it later. Maybe that's what I'm doing wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what's better. It's just what I try right now. Did you study how to public speak itself? Did you study other people's speeches or like watch steps on how to talk and that kind of thing? I watched, I watched all those YouTube videos. I checked out Guy Kawasaki and all of those TEDx talks. And I thought, oh my God, I can never do that. So forget all this stuff. You have to find your own style. Of course, I listen to what you shouldn't say and what you shouldn't do. And I try not to have too many arms and arms and like in between. Basic stuff of how to make people listen to you. I did watch lots of those stuff just to get inspiration, but then I thought, that's not me. And I think teaching really helped there because I always speak publicly almost every day to like 50 to 100 people. It's just what helps me to figure out like what works for me and what doesn't. Would you say you have your own style pretty set in? By now, I think so. I mean, it also depends on the audience, of course. It's different to be on a stage with like professionals compared to like a uni class. What would be your tips based on your style for public speaking? Maybe from how to get people more engaged or how to okay. structure your speech. 
One of the things that I tell also my students, because they have to present at the end of the class or something, I tell them, ask questions, that's fine. Interact with the audience. If there's no response right away, you have to be patient. So patience is something that in the beginning I always didn't have. I forgot on stage because you get so nervous. So if you do this and that, what do you think? What's your approach? And then, of course, there's no response right away because people have to think first. But you think, oh my God, they're not replying. I'm doing something wrong. Okay, I tell you. So you have to be cool with silence. Enjoy the silence. Also being confident because if you have doubts about what you're saying, the audience can see that. You need to be prepared. Preparation tops everything. I try to be prepared for any kind of question. And if I'm doing a good job, then questions will come. Do you also practice your speech? I don't practice what I'm saying exactly, but I practice the timing, for example. I always tell my students, you can't just finish the night before with slide deck. Especially when you go to a conference, you have 30 minutes, you can't go much longer and you shouldn't be much shorter. I practice and I time. So if I know, okay, I want to make this reference or something, does it work? Does it take too long? I practice like three, four, five times before I speak. Do you practice references and jokes with friends before you speak? My friends don't think I'm funny, so no. <laughs> yeah. they, they always tell me I'm not, so. Let's get back to the students. You've seen so many different types of students uh -huh. from different universities. And you also said that you're in touch with some of them and some of them are now successful and have good jobs. Yeah. Can you tell since you were teaching them which ones are going to be successful? Some of them, sure. I mean, some are just really into it and really good students. And you see their projects and how they approach things and how they then come after class and ask you more questions because they really want to know something. So you're like, hey, this guy, this girl, I think they could do something cool afterwards. Of course, some, I mean, just like me, I hope, because I was the quiet student, I wouldn't ask my professor too many questions afterwards. I just study lots by myself. Some students just surprise you at the end. They're like, okay, you're always so quiet in class. You're always there, which is nice, but never really hear something. But then you're like, oh, that's a really cool project that you did there. Wow. Some students still surprise you, and that's really cool. In my first class, there was one student He comes to me after class and he doesn't just ask questions about what was just taught. He asks other things about my career, about life tips in general. And I think he can get more knowledge out of me than most of other students. Right. So are there other kind of things that you've seen students do that you think were really good to get the most out of class? That's not just the material. I sent you the one article on my website, the one tip I give students. Because actually, when I started my job at university, they interviewed me like, hey, what tip would you give students? And they expected me to say, study hard and do your homework and come to class and be on time and stuff like this. It is important, of course, to some degree. But what I actually said is you have to question everything. Don't be satisfied with what you get in class. The teachers are trying to give you like as much information as possible, but we can't explain the world to you. We cannot tell you everything. So if you feel like you want to know more, you need to know more, you always have to keep asking. Be critical. Just because I say something doesn't mean that's the law and it has to be like that. So then question it and think about it. Not just like say like, yeah, yeah, everything that's on the slide there is like a rule for me and I follow step one, two, three, four, five, and then I will be successful in life. Because that's not how life works. I mean, just from what we talked right now, you see, there's no straight line. You have to figure things out and you figure things out by trying, by doing stuff and by asking. And do you think they should get real world experiences since they were studying, like working with real companies? If possible, definitely. Even if it's just some kind of side job. I have a few students who work like in an ice cream shop weekend until late night. And they wouldn't have to. Like some actually studied abroad before. They were in the US, for example. But they, they saw that their friends have those part-time jobs and they come back and say, 
I can do that too. I, I like that. I like that approach. I like the mindset like, hey, I can take care of myself. I want some experience. They have just a different approach to the whole thing. Like they're more on time. They do their stuff. They know what matters. In terms of working with real companies, I think so too, that if you work like on a real project, you just get more experience and it just helps you. Where would you recommend students to find information outside of class? In theory, getting information is easier than before, right? Because, hey, internet. But you just also need to invest enough time to figure out, are those things good sources that I find right now? Don't be just satisfied with the first YouTube video that pops up. and like, hey, I found a YouTube video. Also spend time on figuring out that person's talking right now here. Does it make sense? Do they have like actually credibility to talk about what they're talking about? Use more time to research what you're into. I think complacency is a big thing in our generation and the next generation. It's just everyone is just okay with like mediocre knowledge, mediocre results. They're not trying to find more. And it's sad these days that it's not even YouTube. It's like the first BuzzFeed article. Oh God, yeah. Don't get me started on BuzzFeed. They're doing a great job. I mean, it's a great, great business model and it seems to work very well. Ah, just terrible content. But yeah, don't just be satisfied with like BuzzFeed. You have to go beyond and then keep asking. Keep asking your teachers, keep asking your parents, keep asking whoever you think is interesting. Don't be afraid to go to events, meet up, for example, if it's interesting. Go to those events, even though I'm really terrible at networking, but some of those events can still help you to get to know interesting people. Yeah, just go out and don't be shy and don't hold back and don't think, oh, it will come to me. It won't. One of my personal tips, too, is that you should just go and talk to your professors or teachers if you can. Just go and talk about anything. Like, you don't have to have a good question. Because when I was in university, I thought that, oh, I can't go up and talk to them because I don't have a good question. Right. But, like, it doesn't matter. You can go ask them about their life and advice on anything else. You always get something. And most of the professors are happy to talk to anyone because nobody talks to us. So just... <laughs> Just so we're happy. We're happy to give like feedback and help and stuff. So yeah. One of the main things that you're doing outside your teaching job is writing a blog. Right. And yeah. it's quite successful. You have a lot of following. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. So you write about so many different things as well, right? But it's centered around Thailand. Yeah. So the site is mytai.org. Org. <laughs> Not org. O r o r. <laughs> Maybe I would, get, I, I would get more readers if I would have the orgy on there. MyTai.org. Orgy coming soon to MyTai.org. <laughs> Check it out. Um, yeah, I mean, it's MyTai, so it's about Thailand. I started when I moved to Thailand. It took a while to more or less take off, but I didn't intend it to be it. more successful. I just started as a blog for me, maybe some of the friends who are interested about like what I'm doing now because it sounded so crazy. Yeah, but then more people checked it out. I got more questions, Twitter and Facebook, like, hey, how about this? How about that? Can you give me tips? And I'm like, okay, maybe I should do it like a bit more professional and have more categories and do like a little bit more magazine style, a little bit more structured. And I do have a few co-authors once in a while now. I actually had had two that were contributing regularly, but now they also got like different jobs so they don't have that much time anymore. So if someone wants to write a shout out, we're trying to cover all kinds of things, entertainment sometimes as well. How do you get ideas for an article? Either I write about what's happening right now and then try to explain things a little bit more just for people who don't know, like people outside of Thailand and back home, they wonder like what's happening right now. Or I write about what's important to me and what I think about, which is often related to education, society and how my life as like a strange foreigner here in Thailand turned out to be. 
I think by now, after like six years, I understand the culture maybe also a little bit better. What do you think your followers are interested in? That's interesting because when I check analytics or Facebook insights or whatever, I see lots of people from across the world, like most people from the US or from Europe. They very often are interested in like opinionated articles. But I also see like, especially on Facebook or in the comments, oh God, that's actually, I cannot say that because it's like BuzzFeed style. I had an article like five traits I picked up after moving to Thailand or nine ways how Thailand influenced my mindfulness. The headline is now it's stolen from BuzzFeed style, but it actually, I mean, it actually influenced me. Those get lots of shares and traction like on social media. More relatable ones. Exactly, right. But also easy ones to understand. So I have articles on education, which have like two or three thousand words or somewhere I break them down like two or three articles. They get usually lots of constructive feedback, which is really nice. But then those articles that are about like five, whatever, they get lots of shares and lots of traction because it's just easy to digest, especially the younger ones. But I still try to keep it informative if possible. Let's talk about your future goals. Do you see yourself teaching for a long time? Right now, I would say, yeah, I want to continue teaching definitely because I enjoy it a lot. I do also think that I need to improve my academic track record. There's no way around that. PhD, if possible. But it's not a requirement to have a master's degree or PhD to teach university. I think a master's is a requirement. I hope so. <laughs> you have a master's? Yeah, what I graduated from before. Before you moved to Thailand? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Right, yeah, yeah, before. In terms of like, if I have any bigger plans, I stopped making like 10-year plans just because it didn't work out so far. What about the subjects that you teach yourself? Are there topics you're passionate about and like want to teach the world about it or want to change the field? Luckily, yes. What I teach right now is really cool for me. I really like it. I really like to do research on those subjects. I do, I do want to make an impact, yeah. One thing, however, that I right now always struggle a little bit with is even while I do research on my subjects like media studies and media and society and all those things is super cool. Sometimes when you watch the news, at least for me, I just get sad and think, Ah, oh, I can't fix that right now. I can't do anything. Like when you look here in Thailand and look across the border, like to the Rohingya crisis or whatever, you're like, we should be able to do more, but you can't really do anything. So sometimes I have said those existential questions, this feeling that you can't, even while you try so hard to do something in your field, there's so many more things that should be fixed and that are more important. Would you want to go into public speaking to motivate people to help others more? I try to implement this wherever I am, wherever I speak, also in classes. I try to make sure that people, students, audience understand that what they're hearing right now is not just there to improve their business or whatever, but that they could actually use what they're hearing right now to also help other people and to make a lasting impact in society. In my marketing class, of course, they try to create marketing plans for their businesses, but I try to also make clear that the same strategy could apply to If you do it for UNICEF, for example, why don't you use those skills and do something good? Because I think being a teacher is a very unique position that you're teaching in one place, but you make an impact on so many people's lives. And those people, if you teach them well, then they can apply it to other people. And it's kind of a, you know, like when you drop a rock in the water, I'm, a yeah, ripple, right. ripple, ripple effect. effect. Yeah, exactly. That's what I hope. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you're not sure if you actually reach enough people as a teacher, but I still feel pressure every time I go to class to actually like deliver something that's worth to be heard. What kind of advice would you give to your younger self? Don't be shy. <laughs> I hate myself for being the shy kid. No, not hating, but I'm like, man, there's no reason. There's actually no reason to hold back and be that shy. 
Why do you think you were shy? Like, what were you scared of? I don't know. I just thought I could not do what others do. I thought, okay, they can do it, but I cannot for whatever reason. Probably also how you've been brought up. Like, my parents were super careful with everything. And my mom was worried about everything that something bad could happen to me everywhere I go. Because I was always the smallest one and no idea. But once you grow a little bit older, you actually could make the choice to not be shy and say, like, hey, that sucks that I'm so shy right now. I have to do something else. There's no reason to hold back because nobody knows everything. Even like if you're 12 and you're shy and then the other guy is 12 and is not shy, then he doesn't know much more than you. Just He decides to get out more. Making the decision to not always be the quiet little guy in, in the corner, but to actually say, hey, I have a dream. I want to achieve something. I want to learn something. Then just go for it and ask and try and try more. I think it took me like until I was 18 or so until I realized that I can try anything that I don't need the approval of in this case my parents or my peers or whoever so if you realize that sooner then maybe your chances to actually fulfilling your dreams are greater I think you didn't know what your dreams were when you were younger right right but I mean only if you try different stuff then you can actually like realize what you like and what you don't like if you don't do anything you never know so then just try things go for it try football if it's not for you then okay then it's not for you but I was just sitting at home doing nothing. Don't wait for things to happen. Just make it happen. Do you have books recommendations that have an impact on your life? One of the books that actually really influenced me by a professor, Randy Pausch, the last lecture. That's one of my favorite too. I was reading it on the way to work. It made me actually cry in the subway. <laughs> I felt like a tear running down. And like, no, I'm not crying. I'm okay. <laughs> when I read this, I'm like, that's a cool teacher. That's like a cool approach to life. And that kind of changed my perspective of life and i thought okay the brick walls in life are just enabling you to show whether or not you would want something really bad enough for me i was like yeah that's true like just those walls in front of you you want to reach something gets difficult lots of people are giving up you just need to show that you want it more you want it badly you want it really bad if you keep pushing then you will overcome this brick wall that's how he called it in this book and then you will be successful thanks to this book i'm at university right now otherwise i would have never tried it It's one of the books that changed my perspective in life as well. Growing up, because my parents were really high achieving people and they always pushed me to be a doctor. I was always taught that dreams and hobbies are unrealistic things and you should separate it from your actual job. And your actual job should be something prestigious like being a doctor. And reading that book, it made me realize that, oh, you can actually have dreams and goals in something that you actually enjoy. And it's possible to do those things. Right. One of my classes at university, they asked me to give like an introduction speech to the students and tell them stuff about life in general before classes start, like freshman orientation. And I kind of copied the idea of Randy Pausch, like how to achieve your childhood dreams. I just told them that dreams are important and don't give up on your dreams. And if you're interested in something, you have to go for it. Just like all those steps that he's mentioning in the book, the students really like, they're like, oh my God, that's so cool. Yeah, you're right. All the old Thai teachers are like, don't tell them that. <laughs> You have to tell them to study hard and to work hard and to don't have crazy dreams. They have to be accountants and stuff like that. That's sad. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I, I think it also influenced my teaching style and everything. There's a big impact. Mm -hmm. I still share this video all the time. I'll link it in the yeah. blog. Okay, second book. Altruism by the Dalai Lama, Power of Compassion. Really good. I just think we should have more compassion and compassion is something really important, especially these days where he talks about How being compassionate makes you also more happy because one of the key messages from the Dalai Lama is always happiness in life. 
helping others helps yourself. All very reasonable, but sometimes you just need to hear it. When you feel down, it just helps me to go back and think, yeah, I shouldn't be so selfish and think, oh, my life is so bad and I should think about others, show compassion towards others, be more altruistic. That just impacts my thought process sometimes. Anything else? Maybe an introduction book for someone who wants to get into digital marketing or media? Book of my professor, <laughs> Dr. Mario Fischer. It's a German guy. It's called Website Boosting. I hope he likes it. I mentioned this right now. What I liked about it, not just because it's my professor, but his style is fresh and unique and a little bit more playful, giving like real examples, case studies and real examples, and a little bit more funny than other textbooks. Thank you so much, Sacha, for being on my show and sharing your experiences and tips. That'll be very good for students. Thank you for having me. Lots of fun to talk about this, actually. I've never thought about this before. I enjoyed it. Thank you for sharing it for the first time then. Thank you too. You can find Sacha's blog at my my-tai.org. You can also find his book recommendations. I will list it on pathfinderspodcast.com. If you enjoy the podcast, if you learn something useful and interesting, don't forget to review the podcast on iTunes. It could help other people who might need to listen to something like this that would inspire their own journey in life find us. We also have a mailing list on the website where you can sign up and get notifications when there's a new episode or when there are upcoming guests. You can also submit questions. I will select some good ones that I'll ask the guests during the interview. Thank you for listening. See you in the next episode. <laughs>